Friends, if you had told me 35 years ago on Valentine's Day, when I stepped into my office at Bel Air Presbyterian Church for the first time in a building that no longer exists, that I would be here 35 years later, I would have laughed. I made a three to five year commitment, assuming I would return to East Coast after that. I also would not have anticipated that my last Sunday before taking unused vacation and study leave and a sabbatical would come in the midst of COVID-19, robbing me of the opportunity to express my gratitude and give you hugs in person as I say farewell. And yet here we are. I'm speaking to an empty sanctuary and you are watching on a screen. My heart is full and very thankful. I'm thankful for this family of faith whose generosity of spirit allowed a young woman to come and work with children and families, to preach once a month in those early days, and to offer my pastoral and spiritual care. What a gift you have given to me to grow, to learn, and to journey with you for 35 years. I have been blessed and allowed my uniquenesses to be shared without being put in a pastoral box. Instead, you welcomed me to share life and friendship along the way. Together, we have seen many changes and transitions, accompanying you through the pains and struggles and triumphs of the church community. You have given me access to your hearts, your faith, your doubts, your joys, and your sorrows. I've had the privilege to stand at the graveside when parents have died and to stand right here when your children were baptized or married. I've been offered the amazing gift of holding so many of your stories across the years and generations. I've been at the bedside when babies were born and then have been there to see their babies born. I've watched the Christmas tea, which I created to bring some cheer in a hard season of the church's life, grow from 50 participants in a room beneath the sanctuary to 1,200 women under a tent on the lower parking lot, to the capacity of the Discipleship Center, the Student Center, and the large room in the Christian Education Building. A ministry begun for women has extended to include our men in service as butlers as well. When I first came to Bel Air Church, I had oversight of the preschool, which grew in those early days from a half-day program with two classrooms into an accredited full-day program with multiple classrooms, enrichments, and mommy and me. The annual family camp week in the Santa Cruz Mountains, which I inherited and oversaw for almost 30 years, grew from 75 participants to 325 campers of all generations, sharing what the book of Acts describes as the church, studying, praying, eating, playing, celebrating, having all things in common I cherished working with a committee who had fun in meetings and who chose to serve while on their vacation, 
exhausting themselves for the wonder of that week. I've participated in the ordination services of many who have come under the care of Bel Air, having heard the call of God upon them, including our pastors, Drew Sams, Kim Dore, and Mike Morgan. In my 35 years, many pastors and staff have come and gone, and I have watched this church evolve through different seasons of life in its leadership. So much more has been given to me than I can take time to list. In every era, I have sought to offer my heart and my care. You, in turn, for those of you who have been here equally as long, have seen me in different roles and departments as they changed and my passions and leadership evolved. You saw me married to Stephen Medeiros, my great ministry encourager and cheerleader. Knowing that family is important to me, you welcomed my parents when they visited and my siblings and my nieces and nephews as well. My brother Bill even joined the pastoral staff to plant a church, which is thriving in the South Bay. You have offered me comfort in my losses and allowed me to be genuine and real. Many of you worshiping with us today, I haven't met personally. Perhaps you're new to this community and know little of Care Crawford, if anything. Others of you have known me for years and watched the inward work of God in my own spiritual journey which brought me to my current job description, developing and overseeing the Department of Spiritual Formation and Soul Care. Along the way, as I stand here today, God has filled me with such gratitude for you and for truths that I have learned. Above all, I have tried to share and am assured of the truth that all shall be well. I even named an annual conference here at Bel Air by that name. Nearly daily, I wear a bracelet with those words etched on it. The choir earlier sang those words written by one of my spiritual heroes, a mystic of the 14th century, Julian of Norwich, who first penned those words, among other things, she was the first woman to publish a book in the English language. The phrase, all shall be well, and all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well, is one of the most quoted phrases all over the world. Many do not know the writings of Lady Julian beyond this, this one phrase. She came from a family of means. In the midst of a pandemic, the Black Plague, Julian felt called to seclude herself in a room attached to a sanctuary of the church in Norwich, England, and devote herself to prayer. She was called an anchorite. She anchored the church in prayer. Bel Air has some anchorites, Patty Taylor, Elizabeth Chow, and Joe Gentile, to name a few. Because of the faithful prayers of these saints 
and many other members, Bel Air can be assured that all shall be well. All shall be well, and all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well is much more than a wish for the future. Julian wrote these words having heard them directly from Jesus. What Julian wrote just before all should be well focused on Jesus Christ and him crucified and resurrected. Without the cross, without the promise of our forgiveness and the hope of resurrection, nothing can be well. But because of Julian, Julian reminds us that all shall be well. If I can leave you with only one thing, after 35 years serving as one of your pastors, it is this truth. Because of the cross, because of Jesus Christ, no matter what the circumstance or need, a relationship with him assures us that all shall be well, and all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. This morning's scriptures readings all point to some of the inward ways of knowing that all should be well. They hold truths I have learned myself over years and will, I hope, be a charter for me as I enter a new phase of ministry. They are also a reminder and charge to you to live a deeper and richer life with the Lord Jesus Christ and with each other. Each scripture I chose for today holds a word of hope or an invitation I want to leave with you. As we read in 1 Kings, Elijah had just vanquished his opponents. He was at a crisis point physically, spiritually, and emotionally, and vocationally. Who is he? And what is he to do now that Jezebel has ordered his arrest? Depleted, afraid, and down on himself, he begs for death. Elijah is stopped and reoriented by the voice he hears. First, an angel restores him with food and drink, enabling him to travel to the Mount of God. There we expect Elijah to be rewarded and celebrated at Horeb. And perhaps we are as surprised as he was when God said, what are you doing here, Elijah? It's a question God asks of us at times. Where are you? What are you doing here? Right now, in this moment, in this context, what are you doing God asked the same question to Adam and Eve in the garden. The first question of 3,300 questions in the holes of Scripture. Genesis 3.9 says, But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? Responding to God's questions, What are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah pleads his case. Overwhelmed by fear and blaming the unrighteousness of the people of Israel for his circumstances, God directs him to stand upon the mount where he witnessed a whirlwind, an earthquake, and fire. 
God's voice is not in any of those natural disasters. God's voice comes after the storm and fury in the sound of silence. It is a voice of what one commentator says is a gentle, fragile silence. To hear God, Elijah has to listen. He has to be quiet. Guess what? So do we. How do you hear God's voice in your life? Where are you and what are you doing that enables you to listen to him? Most of us are familiar with the passage, I suspect, from the prophet Samuel when God calls him by name in 1 Samuel chapter 3. Samuel's response to hearing God was, Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Too often, we receive the posture of obedience and say to God, listen, Lord, your servant is speaking. God wants to speak to you. God speaks to all of us often, but we frequently miss it. How are you hearing that still, small voice? Hearing a voice that comes in silence is difficult when the noise that surrounds us drowns out God's voice. Yes, friends, there are many ways we hear God. Some of us hear God's voice best in his creation, others in his word. Elijah's experience reminds us that it may not be shouted or written in the sky, but found in a quieter and less obvious way. Our posture and readiness to listen is a spiritual discipline needed in order to hear God. Be aware. Pay attention. We need to be aware that God still speaks today. And be discerning. We need to discern which of the things we hear and receive are from God. Do you believe God will speak to you? Are you available, expectant, and listening when God speaks? If you are like me, too often the pace and schedule of life creates a busyness that prevents us from noticing when God speaks. And there is a verse where scripture instructs us time and again regarding the posture we must take to hear the living God. Psalm 40, 10 points to this. Be still and know that I am God. Be still. Not a natural posture taken in a city or a church that is busy, even in a pandemic. Be still, Dallas Willard, who many of you have heard teach here or whose books you may have read, paraphrased verse 10 this way, cease striving and know that I am God. Cease, stop, strive no more. God is with you. When Dallas was asked how he would describe Jesus, this saint and brilliant mind with a humble heart offered one word, relaxed. Before hearing his answer, I never would have described Jesus that way. Would you? Relaxed. 
Think about it. If Jesus is relaxed and we have a life with him, we can perhaps relax too. I love Exodus 14, 14. It tells us simply, God himself will fight for you. You need only be still. God's very self will fight for you. Your needs, your concerns, your struggles. God is with us. This is the message of the incarnation we celebrate each Christmas. We have a with us God. Emmanuel means God is with us. God will go before you, help you. And we are asked to take a posture of stillness. We may struggle with it, but it's in our stillness that we get ready to listen to Jesus speak to our very hearts. Stillness, however, is not the same as inertia. This stillness comes from within, a deep well, a place where you find your strength. The prophet Elijah Elijah tells us in chapter 30 and verse 15 that it is in silence and rest that we find our strength and salvation. Did you catch that? Silence and rest bring strength and salvation. Dallas Willard writes, arrange your life in such a way that you are experiencing deep, deep contentment, joy, and confidence in an everyday life with God. How is your everyday life with God? The number one response to the question, how are you, is fine or okay? Have you ever answered that way when it wasn't true? It's sometimes an easier answer than admitting that we struggle to ourselves or to another. After fine or okay, the next most common response is, I'm busy, I'm tired. Is that you? Are you busy or tired or both? Have you sought the rest to which Jesus invites you? There, this is more than a good night's sleep. Rest is a spiritual discipline that describes the posture of a receptive heart. We heard the invitation in the gospel reading, come to me, an invitation to be with Jesus, not to more work, not to the to-do list, not to the events, not to go wherever and with whatever lures you into escape or numbness. No. Jesus says, come, weary and heavy laden. Eugene Peterson's The Message translates Matthew eleven twenty-eight to 30 in this way. I've shared this before in sermons with you. Are you tired, worn out, burn out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. 
keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Tired, worn out, burned out, sick of the same old, same old, done with the pandemic, ready for old routines to return. The call is simple and clear. Come. Jesus invites you. Jesus asks you. Jesus wants you to come to him. Willard reminds us that that obedience to Christ is the easy yoke. Does recovering your life and a real rest sound good to you? Jesus wants to give that to you. The instructions are clear. Walk with me. Watch me. Be still and know that I am God. In silence and stillness, we keep company with Jesus and to learn to live differently and lightly. All shall be well. That's the deal. That's it. I have lived far too busy a life for the last 35 years. I know it. I confess it. And you've seen it. I also have learned something of those unforced rhythms of grace and what happens when I am still and silent. And in that posture, I have heard the Lord more clearly, almost audibly. And he's told me I am his and he loves me. Yes, Jesus loves everyone. But I heard God say that he loves me, Care Crawford, in an extended time of 12 days of silence, when I pushed the noise of my spirit and heart to the side, I was able to hear the truth and live into it. I am his beloved. It wasn't something to know just in my head anymore. It was the promise and the truth that all shall be well and all shall be well and all manner of things shall be well. God also calls you his beloved. Trust that. Let that sink deep into your heart and soul. There is no, no greater name that you could be given. It's what God said of Jesus when he came up out of the baptismal waters. This is my son, the beloved, in whom I am well pleased. It's also what God says of each of you today. Some of you know this in your heads, but it hasn't taken root in your heart. When it does, everything changes, I promise you. Henry Nouwen is one of my favorite authors. I've probably quoted him in every sermon I have preached over the past 20 years, at least. Nouwen reminds us, quote, We are not what we do. We are not what we have. We are not what others think of us. Coming home is claiming the truth. I am a beloved child of God. Jesus invites us home. I believe the more that you live into that truth, the more people will see the truth living in you. Madeline Lengel, another favorite author of mine, advises this. 
We do not draw people to Christ by loudly discrediting what they believe, by telling them how wrong they are and how right we are, but by showing them a light that is so lovely that they want with all their hearts to know the source of it. How do you let the light shine in you? In the Church of Scotland, there is a tradition called the lighting of the church. The lighting of the church is offered by people called the League of the Lamp. They say, quote, I light the lamps of the sanctuary. May they shine to the glory of God and tell the illumination of his Holy Spirit. These words are repeated over and over as candles and lamps are lit in the church, literally and figuratively. To join the League of the Lamp with lights shining within you to God's glory, you need only claim your belovedness and live into the full knowledge that all shall be well and all shall be well and all manner of things shall be well. Because of Jesus and him crucified, this is a promise, a living hope. In my transition from Bel Air, I hold that hope for you. I'm not retiring from ministry, even though I am leaving Bel Air's pastoral staff after 35 years. When I return from sabbatical, I will be pastor emeritus. I'm excited for the new adventures ahead to teach in a doctor of ministry program at Fuller Seminary and at a graduate university back east. I will continue to offer spiritual direction and head an organization training men and women to become spiritual directors. I hope to write, and I've been asked to do some consulting in a few churches. I'm excited about what's on the horizon for me. And I leave with great gratitude for all of you. My life has been blessed and challenged and deepened because of Bel Air Presbyterian Church. Deo gratias. Thanks be to God. I will carry you in my heart. You have helped me to know I am beloved, a beloved child of God. I am changed because of having ministered among you. I want to end this sermon today with a biblical prayer, a charge. It's my hope for you, my cherished and beloved Bel Air family. Knowing I couldn't read it to you without tears, I've asked my dear friend Dave Ardell to read the passage from the letter to the Church of Ephesus in chapter 3. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, for whom every family in heaven and on earth takes its name. I pray that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant that you may be strengthened in your inner being with power through his spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith as you are being rooted and grounded in love. I pray that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints that in the breadth 
and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish abundantly far more than all we can ask or imagine. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. As I end this sermon today and close a chapter of my ministry where I have sought to have a long obedience in the same direction, I want you to know it is well with me. All is well, and all is well, and all manner of things shall be well. It is well, very well with my soul. So may it be with yours, now and even forevermore. Amen.